If you have a true scary story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to send it my way. Also, consider rating this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, as it does help. And of course, thank you. I have a story about an ex-girlfriend that went a bit crazy, and really taught me a lesson about dating. Mainly to get the hell away from anyone that starts to throw red flags at you in high quantities over a short period of time. When I met Ada Lynn, shortened to Lynn, I was immediately smitten. She was everything I wanted in a girl. She was a solid 10 for me, was super polite to literally everyone, loved the same things as me, and she didn't really have a wild side. I've always been a bit of a wallflower, so I wasn't looking for anyone that had a crazy social life, or liked to be out in public all the time. Lynn was, as I got to know her over the couple weeks before we dated, perfect to me. And I fell super hard super fast. She and I were very happy together for about three months. Things were perfect. She would stay at my apartment every weekend, and we were making plans for the future. Lynn seemed like she was the perfect partner for me, and I really thought that we had a very bright time ahead of us. Of course, with the good things come the bad. Around this time, my mother was hit with a cancer diagnosis, and me being her only child, I felt the need to commit a lot of time to her, to help her where she needed. My dad hasn't been around since I was five, so a lot of it fell on my shoulders. I had no problem bearing this weight, as I love my mother and I wasn't going to let her struggle. Helping my mother, of course, meant that I wasn't home as much as I used to be. I ended up having to set time aside to take my mother to her treatments, and I ended up staying over at her apartment several nights because I didn't want her to be alone, and I had to shave off a lot of the time that I got to see Lynn. At first, she was fine with it. She hadn't met my mother, but she said that she understood and she was supportive of me being the one to help her. That lasted about two weeks. Until one night when I got home, she was sitting in the parking lot waiting for me. I was a bit shocked that she was there since it was like 10 at night, and I hadn't told her I was going to be home that night. The only reason I came home is because my mom told me to go get some sleep in my bed instead of sleeping on her couch, and that she would be fine. She approached me as I walked up to my apartment and she seemed happy at first, until I mentioned that I was exhausted. She then immediately started asking me why I was so tired. I told her that I had been helping my mom all day, and that I'd spent the last few hours rearranging furniture to make things more accessible, in case my mom got worse. And she came back with, Are you sure you were with your mom? Are you sure you weren't with another woman? I will say that I may have responded harshly to her when she said this, 
something about being accused of cheating after I spent a whole day helping my mother, who needed me, compounded with the stress of my life at the time, just set me over the edge. I went off. I asked who the hell she thought she was to even insinuate that. I called her a few names that I probably shouldn't have, and then I told her to go to hell. Like I said, as much as I was really head over heels for her, I was not in a good headspace, and her saying that really messed me up. It was a quick and rash decision to end something that I held so dear, but if she was going to start down that route while I was dealing with my mother, then I was done. And, of course, that wasn't the end of it. In fact, that was where things started to go insane. A couple of days later, I got home from work and as soon as I walked into my apartment, I wanted to freak out. Nothing was taken or broken, but it was pretty clear that someone had broken into my home, and I could pretty quickly figure out who it was. There were post-it notes all over my apartment stuck to various things, and on each of them was a personal note, but they were such a mixed bag of emotions. For instance, one said something like, I miss our late nights together. And then the next would say, I hope you and your new girl die in a fire. It didn't say girl, it used a different word, but I find it degrading so I won't include it here. You can figure out what it said. There were, if I remember correctly, a hundred and seventy-something notes all over the place. Clearly, she was a bit unhinged with her unfounded accusations. I called Lynn and asked her what her problem was, and she told me that she didn't know what I was talking about. I mentioned the notes, and she just kind of tried to play it off, like, Oh, yeah, that. I don't know, I was just in a bad mood. I told her that she had committed a crime by breaking into my apartment, and she laughed and told me that I couldn't prove that she broke in. I, once again, went off. I told her that I was done with her, that she needed to move on and get over me because I wanted nothing to do with her. She then said that she wanted me to reconsider my statement, and I doubled down, telling her that she needed to leave me alone before I called the cops and got a restraining order. I didn't think I would actually be able to get one, I just wanted to put it in her head that she needed to leave me alone. That next morning, when I got up to go to my mom's, I went out to my car and once again she was waiting in the parking lot. She got out of her car and started to approach me, but I just got in my car and drove off as fast as I could, hoping that she would get the idea that I was willing to ignore her existence. She then made it really hard to ignore her. When I got home and saw a fire axe sticking in my front door, like it was seriously dug into the wood and just sitting there. That was a really fun conversation to have with the leasing office, that I had come home to that and they certainly thought it was confusing. I just had to tell them that I'd had a nasty breakup. I ended up having to pay for the door since it was technically vandalism by somebody that I knew, which was fine. I didn't really care. Over that week, every day when I would leave, I would see her sitting in the parking lot just staring at me. 
I wasn't even sure if she was leaving or if she was living in her car in the parking lot just so that she could stalk me. What's even more strange was the fact that this went on for about 10 days, and then she was just gone. Just like that. She was no longer in the parking lot, and I never saw her again. Like, at all. She never attempted to contact me again, she never came back, and I have not seen her since that last day. I have literally no idea what happened to her. If she just realized that she should move on, or if something actually did happen to her, but she's been out of my life completely. While I don't wish harm on anyone, Lynn did put a fire axe through my front door. So, to be honest, I don't have a problem with her just disappearing. That's my story about my ex. The woman that I thought was perfect that went from 0 to 60 on the crazy scale over the matter of a couple of days and over something as dumb as me spending more time with my mother, who was going through cancer treatments. If anyone wants to know, my mother went into remission and has only had one concerning moment since then. Right now, she is fully in remission, and living a very happy life. I've also gone on to a couple other relationships, but nothing long-term. Greetings. I almost did not write this in because this paralysis happened only one time to me, and I say thank goodness to that, because it was a most disconcerting experience. Back in the mid-90s, I know, I'm old, my then-boyfriend and I decided to move west from New York City, and slowly made our way to Los Angeles and we crashed at his old employer's office-slash-warehouse combo in a light industrial area. It was a little creepy to hang out in too long. There were no windows in the room we were staying in, but otherwise it was a large, clean, carpeted, and unused conference room. I did like the peacefulness of it, and did a lot of artwork in there after going for long walks in the mostly charmless area that had once been home to miles of orange groves. There was just one really sad handful of trees in front of some paper distributing plant in the historic honor of Southern California in a more agrarian time. The three trees hanging on between an electric fence and an urban throughway. Once I had been outside long enough, then I would come in for a nap while we'll call my ex Sean would be in one of the front offices that Jim, the owner and his ex-boss, had supplied him. It was a nice office. It did have a big window that looked out onto not much, but the sun did come in. And there was a computer, printer, phone, big desk. Everything was there for David to start up working again. Because we lived there, he would sometimes go on to the computer on Sundays and putter around in the office after we'd come back from a great Chinese place down the road that fed everyone who worked in these corporate parks. I went for a nap, as I was working nights on the phones for another company, and Sean would join me in that as well. I turned out the lights, and it was always a bit creepy just how very dark that room got when the lights went out. And we had no computers or anything set up in there, save for a phone way at the other end of the giant room, 
flashing a little red light. It was tomb-like quiet there, being a Sunday especially, and I fell asleep quickly in the dark, cool room. And then at some point I woke up. I don't know if it was an hour, two hours, twenty minutes, I had no idea. At first, I just opened my eyes and saw directly above me an annoying light. It's purely a rectangle, as if one of the boards got moved above me. It was one of those types of ceilings. I wondered if there was a workman who pulled out a panel and had lights up there working. I was super confused and went to sit up, and that was when I experienced the paralysis. I could not move. It was terrifying. The fear hit me fast and I realized I could not talk either. I was trapped in this dark room with this light above me that I was now realizing did not illuminate the rest of the room. It was this singular light of rectangle that did not in any way illuminate the rest of the room. I began to panic. Was I drugged? Was I dead? I knew that Sean was deep into whatever he was doing. He never came back this way when he was up front and working on projects. If I needed medical attention, it would be hours before he would come back. I wondered if I was going to die of just the panic itself, because I wanted, more than anything, to not be in that room and not staring up at that rectangle. I started pushing, just pushing, with all of my might and it felt like I weighed a thousand pounds, but I managed to roll over and out of the bed onto the industrial carpet, where I saw the rectangle of light beaming onto the carpet, as if mirroring it. But again, no light from it illuminated any other part of the room. I heave and pull myself up. I felt like metal, like wood. I couldn't breathe and I inched my way to the door and still could not talk or scream or anything as I pulled myself up and made the most difficult trek of my life. Way harder than anything, including a climb up Mount Rainier a few years back. I didn't feel the nausea or confusion or any pain that might come from being drugged. I just knew that I probably should not be able to move at all, and it was sheer will getting me down the hallway. I just leaned against the wall and moaned as best as I could, but I know that he wouldn't hear me. This boyfriend was quite kind and mild-mannered, but deeply bookish and nearsighted. He would just fall into whatever he was doing like deep meditation, and finally I made it to his office, using every ounce of strength that I could muster and I had to really let my hand go onto the desk with a bang to get his attention. His back was to me, but I saw what he was doing on the computer. He was writing to various chain stores about the product, and I saw that he had a new one in the name of the person. I saw everything on the letter. It was kind of just background. My main concern was that I was in a state that I had never been in before and I had no reference for it, and I was telling him that it took me at least an hour and a half from waking to now to even get out of bed and down the hall. I may have even began to cry. I felt like just too much of an ordeal, 
and how could I even explain it when the last time he saw me, I was perfectly fine? I may have asked him to open the front door. I may have asked for air or something. I can't recall what happened next. I really wish he would have just called 911 or something, because I think he just sort of shrugged like it was bizarre, but did not see the danger of what I had gone through. I somehow made my way back to the bedroom, conference room, and turned on the light and fell into the bed again, because I didn't know where else to go or what else to do, and I fell back asleep. Later, at some point, I woke up and I felt more normal, though maybe tingly, hot, cold, or disoriented, but able to move. I was still panicked somewhat from the unexplainable events, both the rectangular light and the inability to move without the most intense effort. This time I really wanted out, and Sean was still most likely in his office. I was a little upset that he had not checked on me after I told him what happened, but I made my way down the hall again, this time with more ease, and I told him I was so grateful to be better now than when I saw him last, when I saw him when I was mostly paralyzed. And he just said, What? He had a decent memory, and wasn't the gaslighting type, but he swore that I had not come into the office at all. And yet when I told him what he had been doing, the letter he had been writing and who he had written it to on the computer, his eyes opened really wide. Because the only way I would know that is if I was in the room with him. He swore that I had not been, and that the conversation had not taken place. And yet I knew exactly what he had been doing. I told him again, for me, but the first time for him, about the creepy light in the bedroom-slash-conference room, and having, for lack of any other better explanation, sleep paralysis. I have no idea what happened, and it confounded both of us. I really thought that at first he was messing with me, but that wouldn't explain the light that did not illuminate, or just the general weirdness that took hold on that otherwise uneventful afternoon but it certainly has been confounding. This is my second post here, and it's again about my personal experience after walking in the night park near my house. It's right on the edge of the city, and while the park looks like about two square miles of wild nature, it's surrounded with city on three sides, and with a suburban area and mall from the fourth. Thus, it's not some wildlands or Bigfoot, but apparently this place has something. As always, after work, I sometimes go to this park at night. The place is safe, there's no animals bigger than squirrels, so there's nothing to really worry about. This time, I decided to not walk by the trails and alleys, but to go in the distant part, where on the bottom of a wide ravine flows a small and shallow stream. The stream supports local ponds, the shores are open and have some sticky black clay on them in some parts. The local village long ago was named Black Mud after this. But in many places, a meter or two from the shore, there's bushes and trees. I was going by the shore, the night was clear enough and there's no trees above the stream so 
I could see without a flashlight. Nothing suspicious. Only the ordinary night forest sounds. Then, I saw some movement behind in the bushes in front of me, where the stream turns from the shore. Here, I should add, that overall, while I'm a bit afraid of the dark, yes, it's a strange combination with night park walks, I got used to the park at night. I visited it for years, so almost every part is familiar to me. Besides, it's fully surrounded by civilization. So, I saw the movement in those bushes about 15 meters away from me, Slowly, and trying not to make sound by stepping on a branch on the shore, I walked forward between the bushes where there was some free space, enough for me to get forwards and in between them. Behind them there was a small meadow, and then… well, here it's hard for me to tell. My mind, since then, wants me to think that I saw a dog, but I can't remember the visual of the dog. No breed, no size, nothing. I don't remember what I saw there, but what I did next was that I instinctively rushed backwards to the stream. I took from the ground the biggest branch that I could see, and I ran away from there, looking backwards often, but there was nothing. I stopped only on the hill in half a mile, overlooking the foresty ravine bottom around the stream. It was calm and quiet. I finally dropped my stick and confusedly went home. So far, I have no idea what that could have been, but back then it was like I was in panic mode for a few minutes, and then it was okay again. Like an on-off switch. Not quite sure if this classifies as paranormal or just a coincidence to the nth degree, but I always found it incredibly strange. My ex-husband told me of a supposed song that kept following him around, as it were. He told me that for years as a child, he had vague memories of an 80s song that he kept hearing whenever he got into an elevator. He didn't know the title or who sang it, but had that hazy recollection of a tune that was ever-present in the back of his memory. When he was in his mid-twenties, he heard the song again while in an elevator on the way to a very important third interview for a job as an assistant marketing manager. This particular incident sticks with him because of the nature of the situation when he heard it this time around. While on his way to the interview on the seventh floor, the song again played, triggering his memory from when he was a kid. Suffice to say that he got the job, which brought back the memory of that song that played earlier that day. This caused my ex-husband to start researching, and he finally found out the name of the song was Careless Whisper by George Michael. He made it a point to keep track of every time he got into an elevator from that point onward to see if the song would play. Now, I know what some people might be thinking, that this sounds like a plot device from the first Final Destination movie, where everyone kept hearing John Denver before they died. But this situation was kind of the opposite, as my husband attributed hearing the song with good luck, 
as he landed his dream job after hearing the song on that one particular day. Anyways, over the next six years, my husband counted exactly how many times he boarded an elevator, which was a little over a hundred times. According to him, 90 times out of that 100 or so, Careless Whisper played, which seems incredible. When he told me this story, I was skeptical, but I then witnessed it for myself more than once. The most notable time I remembered it playing, we were actually on our honeymoon and were riding the elevator up to our hotel room. As soon as the song started playing, he turned to me with an excited look and said, See, babe, I told you. I kind of laughed, and just reasoned that it was a coincidence, and maybe the song was on a kind of a loop and would play several times throughout a given day, along with all the other music. We stayed at that hotel for about five days, and without fail, every time we got on or off the elevator, that damn song would play. Which... Admittedly, I did find very odd. I still talk to my ex-husband as we're still good friends, and to this day, he swears that almost every time he gets on an elevator, Careless Whisper by George Michael always plays. What does everyone think of this? Is this just an incredible coincidence? Or is there more going on here? I have lived in the same house my entire life, and many strange things have occurred there, but these recent events are just odd to me. My family rescued a stray cat, now my best friend, about seven to eight months ago. He's still young, about two years, I believe. My mom has been someone who would, for some reason, have dreams of events right before they occur. She can't control them or anything, but there are sometimes of deaths of loved ones which would turn out to be true. So, I guess you could say that she is open to the paranormal. I've experienced some strange things in the house, such as shadows waving at me, and I don't mean at the corner of my eye. They would be waving directly at me. But that all happened when I was younger, so... I'm still skeptical about the paranormal. Although I have seen a UAP with my family when I was younger, and I still have no explanation for it, but that's a story for another time. Now, regarding my cat. There was this night about a couple of months ago, when my mom felt the cat jump on her bed. She then felt the cat walk up to her face, but she got annoyed and covered her face with the blankets expecting the cat to bother her for food. The cat then clawed at the blankets, trying to take them down from her face. This happened for about 20 minutes. This was until she got so annoyed that she got up and turned on the lights. But, she then saw how the door was closed, and that the cat wasn't even in her room at the time. I was actually awake around the time when this happened to her, I have trouble sleeping, and the cat was sleeping next to me that night. The strange thing is that I actually heard footsteps walking toward my door, which was closed, 
which then stopped as I looked at the door. I then heard them continue away from my door and toward the room where my mom sleeps. Beside the occasional knocking noise and footsteps, not too much has happened since then. But last night, it seemed like something was messing with me. My cat was also sleeping with me last night, and right when I was about to fall asleep, I woke up completely. As I hear the noise my cat makes with his claws when he stretches on the carpet, which is almost like a popping and tearing noise. I sit up, and the noise suddenly stops. I laid back down, and when I was falling asleep again, the noise started up. I saw my cat wake up as well, and he began turning his head to look around the room to try and see what the cause of the noise was. At that point, I was just trying to ignore the noise and sleep, since I have school this morning. However, my cat was more annoyed than me, and he got up and walked around the edges of my bed, looking around to find the source of the noise. The creepy thing is that the noise seemed to move around. At first, it sounded like it was right outside of my door, but then it sounded like it was in the ceiling above me and then right underneath my bed. The noise would just continue to jump around the room. My cat walked up to the headboard of my bed, which is cushioned, and he did the claw-popping noise thing just for a second, which was not normal, as every time he would do it, he would do it for about a minute or so, but immediately after the second that he did it, the other noise stopped completely, and then my cat stopped and lay next to me again and we both went to sleep. Also, for the past couple of weeks, I've been having horrible nightmares. Sometimes I can't even remember them, but I just remember the fear that I felt. And every time I wake up in a cold sweat, completely drenched. I don't know why all of this is happening, but perhaps there's a rational explanation for all of this that I just don't know of. Maybe you guys have had similar experiences of some kind, I just need to get this out there, and I'll update the situation if you guys want, but for now, this is what has happened so far. The OP added an edit. I forgot to add the fact that there was a time when I was whistling during the night, and then all of a sudden I hear whistling back at me from across the house. I thought it was someone in my family doing it, so I went out there. Everyone was asleep, except my mom. I went up to her and asked her if she was doing it, and she said no and that she didn't hear it. But then I whistled again from right there, and again something whistled back at us from across the house. This time I knew for sure it wasn't my family, since no one was in that part of the house that the whistling was coming from. It was coming from the room that I was just in originally, and someone moved all the way over there. My mom heard it this time and still both of us can't explain how something can clearly whistle back like that without being seen. This was way before my cat. I've also recently had times when my basement door, which has three locks on it, was wide open in the morning, even though I saw it closed right before I went to sleep. My parents have heard talking in the room while they're entering them, which the noise would stop when they fully enter. This happened in the same room that the basement door is in. 
I could try and record the noises that I've heard if they happen again, but I'll let you guys know. The story is hard for anyone who didn't see what happened to believe. Sometimes it's still hard for me to believe, but I'm hoping that someone on here can relate or explain. About three years ago, I was in my hometown with some friends, and it was around 12 at night. We were near these soccer fields in our town, and there were six of us packed into a vehicle. We were at the top of this hill that overlooked the soccer fields, and at the edge of the field there was a thick tree line. As a group of kids about to head to college after that summer, you can probably imagine what we were all doing there at that time of night. This is one reason nobody believes any of us when we tell them what all six of us saw. Anyways, I'm in the middle row of seats, and we're all talking, laughing, just doing our thing, and all of a sudden the two people in the front start to freak out. And I mean like panic, scared kind of freak out. They started saying that we should go because they saw something really weird in the tree line across from us. We all laughed at them and blew it off and continued what we were doing. A couple of minutes later, the two people next to me start to also say that they saw whatever it was in the tree line. At this point, I'm getting nervous too, but I still hadn't seen what they were talking about. I asked what it looked like. They told me it looked like a big, blue person. I laughed so hard that I thought my friends were all in on some kind of prank to make me scared or something. But then they made me keep looking where they had seen the entity. About two minutes passed, and as we sat there in silence waiting, I saw it. Across in the tree line, what looked like a transparent yet solid blue being slowly stepped out of the trees. It looked like there was energy flowing through its human-like body. It was a light yet bold blue color. The entity had to be seven or eight feet tall, and we all confirmed that we were seeing the same thing, and described it to each other. The being stood there for a minute and then turned around and walked back into the woods. We waited there in disbelief for a while before deciding that we should get out of there. I tell a lot of people about this story in hopes that one day someone will believe what happened or give some sort of explanation. For background, in early 2021, my mom was very sick due to COVID, thyroid issues, and sepsis from a recent surgery to drain her lungs because they kept filling up with fluid. Eventually, her lungs had filled up with so much fluid and her body was so weak that on Easter, her heart simply stopped beating and she collapsed. My little brother gave her CPR. It was his first time ever, and he was only 17, and miraculously kept her going until the paramedics came, without a single broken rib. Against all odds, they revived her and she pulled through all of the surgeries they did on her. When she finally woke up, she discovered that she couldn't move her legs due to Gillian-Barr syndrome. 
where her antibodies attacked her spine nerves. She's had to relearn how to swallow, use her muscles, go to the bathroom, and walk, and is still in that process. However, she's almost at a point where she doesn't need a wheelchair anymore. Everyone thought that she wasn't going to make it, but she pulled through miraculously. My mom said that before she was resuscitated, she went to heaven, where she was in a sunny and quiet park. She said that it was beautiful. She saw our family pets who recently had passed, including my soulmate black cat Chubby who helped me through my adolescence. Chubby specifically was commanding her attention like he always did whenever I wasn't home to give him love, because I was always his first choice, but mom was his second. And then, she saw her grandma, my great-grandma, holding a baby. Great-grandma told her that when she is ready, the baby will be hers to raise. My mom realized that it was the baby she had miscarried in between me and my brother, and then she snapped back to the earthly world where she couldn't remember anything for a few minutes. Not even me, my dad, or my brother. My grandma, my mom's mom, passed away last week. She got very sick the day after Christmas. We had made the decision as a family to send her home from the hospital with hospice care, as the doctors couldn't get her kidneys to work the way they should. She passed over the course of a week at home, surrounded by family, and in a very similar manner that my mom almost did, from fluid in her lungs. She had congenital heart disease since June, among diabetes, hypertension, and some other heart issues, which caused her lungs to fill up, and so she had to get them drained every two weeks. But her body was tired and ready to go. We had the funeral yesterday, and I've been in pieces since. I like to think that Grandma's in heaven with my great-grandma, my grandma's mom, holding my mom's baby, excited to meet and love another grandchild. In 2014, I finally decided that it would be my last year working on the high seas. It paid very well, but there's a reason for that. It's extremely hard being in the middle of the ocean for three months at a time on a non-luxurious 50-foot freezer boat. Living on the ocean is a constant reminder that humans are not meant to be there. From the stench of rotting fish bait mixed with diesel to the constant motion of the swells under your feet, combined with the vastness of nothing, I always compared it to being an astronaut. It tends to drive you up the wall, eventually, no matter how fortified you are. And for context, just being able to sit on non-moving furniture back at home was an ethereal experience. The last day of the season tends to be the longest, as we have to pick up every long line that was in rotation and detail the deck of the mess left behind. This would take us very late into the night. On this particular night, we ended our day around 1.30am. We were 17 hours away from land, so our captain decided to take a nap and allow us two hours of rest before we took our wheel shifts. Yes, not standard practice, he was an alcoholic. 
We were so far offshore that our captain put us in a slow autopilot, which essentially would just keep us from not drifting further from land as everyone took power naps. My little ritual every night was to make tea and smoke cigarettes by myself on the deck. It was the only time that I got to myself in such small quarters. This night, however, was both the last night of the season and of my career on the ocean. Although I was relieved, I felt a weird bittersweetness knowing that I'll never be this far out in the Pacific Ocean again. I climbed to the top of the cabin where I had secretly stashed a joint in the outdoor freezer. It was sort of my little secret treat at the end of the season. I lit it, and I stared out into the moonlit ocean. I went into deep thought for a while. As I climbed back down, my jacket got snagged on a fishing hook, which was from a fishing rod, stored behind the ladder. This is when my 19-year-old brain concluded, you should do something you will never be able to get to do again. And that was, well, letting all of the fishing line out on a 200-plus pound test rod into the near-infinite depth of the ocean. Just to see what would happen, I guess. I wasn't at all concerned at the time, as I've seen essentially 99% of the fish that lived out here, but I've yet to see certain deep-sea oddities, such as anglerfish, and as such, my fascination took a hold of me. I proceeded to clamp on a bigger, heavier halibut lure onto the fishing line's carabiner, which wasn't really designed for rods, but I felt it was heavy enough to sink further down. I began to let all the line out at the A-beam port of the vessel. Standing there for what seemed like an eternity, I began to give up on actually letting it all out. At this point, it was a little past 2am, my day's work was starting to become more apparent on me. I started reeling in quite quickly as I lost interest in this whole idea. I just wanted to sleep at this point. When suddenly, my rod got hooked on immense dead weight. Extremely dead weight. It wasn't like a fish. I knew what those felt like. I instantly realized that I'd gotten snagged on a kelp patch on my way up. I just wanted to get this done and over with. As I got the kelp patch closer to the boat, I peered over the railing and I noticed the water was absurdly black, even for dimly lit night conditions. Almost Vanta black. I tugged on my rod trying to assess where the kelp was, when I saw a tea saucer sized silver circular light flash in the water. I honestly went lightheaded not knowing what I was looking at. I started hearing something reminiscent to hot tub jets spewing out water, except much, much louder. The louder it got, the blacker the water became. At this point, I'm just confused until I see an arm roll up the side of the boat. As the water cleared from the inky blackness, I saw an eight-foot-long cigar-shaped creature. It was a squid. Out of everything I've caught in these waters, this was by far the most unexpected, as squid don't tend to make their way this far up north. But I do remember hearing about an instance a few years back where they got stuck in certain ocean currents, which pulls them further up than normal. My mind instantly went to... How can I get this thing on the deck? The bragging rights that I would have amongst the crew on our entire trip back would be a poetic end of my career. I began to look for a gaff hook, one arm on the rod, 
one arm pushing totes around on the deck frantically looking. I kept a lot of tension on the rod just to ensure that it was still there, but I noticed that my rod was starting to bend very aggressively, nearly pulling the tip to the underside of the boat. The power of this thing felt almost like a hydraulic winch. No gaff hooks in sight, they must be stored in a storage compartment as we were going to be docked tomorrow. It was standard practice so that they wouldn't get stolen. I rushed back to the railing, peeling over the side. No squid in sight. But the immense tension was still there. And I haven't let any light out. Until I noticed the unfortunate sight. The squid had latched itself onto the bottom of the boat like a tree trunk. I put both of my feet on the railing, nearly pulling my back to the floor. I felt a huge release. Almost like a giant velcro strap being pulled apart. I nearly fell on my back end. I lunged towards the railing again, trying to shorten the line even more to inch this thing out from underneath. But my skinny teenager arms buckled almost instantly, as I could see this thing rolling its whole body and arms back to the bottom of the boat. My anchoring foot slipped on a coil of loose rope on the ground, nearly throwing me off the deck. My gut hit the railing, face to the water, its huge head with its silver saucer eye peered out for a moment. They were darting around aggressively, almost like it was analyzing me. I neutralized myself to put my feet on better grounding. I begin to accept that the risk here might be higher than the reward. Accepting my strength and its immense power, I began to contemplate cutting the line. I noticed the three-pronged hook was attached to the base of its tentacle. In an optimistic attempt, I pulled the rod tightly. The tip starts to bounce and flick. The squid began to contort and twist its whole body, pulling its tentacles close to itself, wrapping one tentacle around its hooked leg. Knowing it has compromised its grip on the bottom of the boat, I pulled once again until, suddenly, the rod snaps straight. There's a cleanly cut, amputated squid arm on my hook. This thing performed surgery on itself. The whole length of the squid slowly pulls forward out from under the boat, and I swear it stares at me for a moment. With one graceful contraction of its arms and a jet stream of ink, it then disappears into the depths. I stood there for a moment waiting for my heart rate to hit baseline. I placed the rod on the deck with the squid tentacles still attached and just stared at it. I pick up my teacup from the ground, and I walk into the galley. I throw the remainder of that day's cold coffee into my cup, head my way to the captain's stateroom, and knocked on the door. No reply. I opened it a crack and said that I'm ready for my wheel shift. The captain, in a drunken mutter, asks, Have you rested? I reply, it's time to head back. I haven't worked on the ocean since. About 15 years ago, I traveled to Spain with my best friend. We were both around 20 at the time, living a carefree young adult life. You know, just two guys having a great time. We were in a warm country, no carefully filled itinerary whatsoever, and just living in the moment, doing whatever we felt like. 
My friend, who originally came from Spain, still had family there, which had made the month-long travel very affordable, since they offered us free accommodation. A roof over our heads, a working bathroom, with fresh showers and three meals a day if we liked. They also gave us a spare key so we could come and go as we pleased. During the day, we often went swimming to keep us as cool as possible, and during the evenings, we often explored the city, went for drinks, or went to a club. On a certain day, somewhat more to the end of our month-long stay there, the father of our host family, my friend's uncle, took us out for a fishing trip. We had a lot of fun out on the sea, although the trip was cut short because we had a bit too much fun consuming beers. The burning summer sun, too many beers, and the wavy feeling of being out on the open sea made for a very bad case of seasickness for both my friend and myself. His uncle thought it was funny, though. After having had an afternoon rest, or as they called it, siesta, and a very fulfilling late-night dinner, we decided to go back out to the beach. We took a couple of cold beers with us, However, we didn't take as many as we were still feeling a bit groggy from before. It was a beautiful night. Open sky, no clouds, little to no light pollution, making the twinkling stars very visible and present. Being on vacation, being young on a still warm but comfortable summer night with the light breeze and a starry sky, it was the perfect moment to talk about the meaning of life about what we liked to achieve one day, about what was worth it or what wasn't, if there was any other intelligent life out there, if we would live for another thousand years or so. The crashing of the waves against the sand of the beach and the rocks was very calming, and it was lulling us into a meditative state. Only that moment in that place seemed to exist. There was no outside world, no life, no responsibilities, no obligations, and no expectations. No working hard to get somewhere. It was that moment that we noticed something was off. The crashing of the sea against the sand of the beach sounded... different? Harder? Like something was moving in it. Under the waves, a vague shape started to form. As it neared the shoreline, it started to get the shape of a dog. We both looked at each other and noticed that we had been holding our breaths for about the minute that it took the dog to crawl from the sea to the shoreline. The tension broke because we both burst out laughing, because we had been so easily startled by something so innocent. But then my friend asked the question that made the newly regained light mood go away in an instant. Where did that dog come from, though? There's no one around. We never saw any dog go into the sea nor was there any dog swimming around. That thing came from under the water. Now that he had worded it like that, it seemed rather curious. And actually, that dog seemed pretty big for any existing dog that I had ever seen. As it was crawling along the beach, solely illuminated by the first quarter moon, it looked the size of a small horse, but in the shape of a dog or wolf with matted fur. It had very present, bony joints in its knees and elbows, and it walked a bit awkwardly. 
my friend and I were debating if we should follow the beast and decided that we did actually want to find out what exactly it was. I took out my phone and started to film it, for as far as any 2008 smartphone could film in the dark. By the time we reached the place at the beach where it had left the water, it had already reached the sand dunes and disappeared into them. We saw that it had left a track and decided to follow that into the dunes. We weren't prepared for what we saw next, though. The beast had left a track in the wet sand in the form of individual hoof prints in a straight line, instead of a crisscross pattern as with any four-legged animal. No horse could have walked in such a line, and even though it had looked the size of a horse, it hadn't looked anything like the shape of a horse, nor were horses aquatic animals. We followed the track to the dunes and went over the first dune, when we saw the beast standing about ten meters from us in a speck of moonlight. It didn't look anything like a dog, either. It looked like it had the lower half of a goat, and the upper half of something like a werewolf or something. Just the dimensions were off, the shapes were awkward, it was such a big animal, and neither of us could place it under any existing animal that we knew of. With matted fur and bony joints, it had just come out of nowhere from under the water, but clearly could walk and survive on the land as well, and it left hoof marks in a straight line. Because we had just stumbled through the bushes closely behind the beast and had given away our presence, it slowly started to turn its head towards us. While it was turning towards us, it stood on its hind legs. Not only was this an animal that came from under the water, as well as could survive on the land and walk on four legs. It could clearly stand and walk very well on two legs. The beast gained even more size by standing on its hind legs, and must have been around two and a half meters big. It stared at us with red, glowing eyes. These were not to be mistaken with the eyes of any nocturnal animal with reflective eyes. These were actually glowing from within. I felt stuck in my spot, completely frozen, but luckily my friend, who was two steps behind me, had the mind to run away and pull me with him. We ran for what felt like an hour, but must have been closer to ten minutes, because we reached the house of my friend's family before we knew it. The beast hadn't followed us, or at least not all the way. We went in and told the entire story to his uncle. Of course, he thought that we must have still been drunk and tired, and had seen things that weren't there. But when we showed him the recording, he went pale. He took a shovel, a gun would have been more impressive against a beast like that, but it's not like the average European has a gun lying around, and he asked us to show him where we had seen it. We searched for almost two hours, but we didn't find the beast again. However, we did find the hoof marks, albeit a bit washed up because of the current sea level. We went back home, trying to make something of what we had just seen, but couldn't. We needed to know what animal we had seen. We started googling all kinds of things. Of course, with the lower half of the beast looking like a goat, we stumbled upon a lot of myths about the devil, which we discarded. 
and we had seen an actual live beast that wasn't known by humanity yet, and we wanted to know if any other people had seen anything like it. It was only when we googled hoof marks one straight line that we stumbled upon the term the devil's footprints. So it was an actual thing, or at least something that had supposedly been seen before according to myths and stories. But they must have had some truth to them since they described exactly what we had just seen with our own eyes. The few days we had left in Spain, we spent our nights out with my friend's uncle trying to find this beast again, but to no purpose, as we never did see it again. When I came home a few days later, I saved the recordings on my hard drive, not sure what to do with it yet. I didn't want to be the crazy guy that had just seen the devil, because I still don't believe that I did. I just wanted to know what animal this was and how come we haven't documented this beast yet. I tried to forget about it, but I couldn't. And a year later, I decided I wanted to publish the recording in the hope that anyone could make sense of what we had seen that night. The uncle of my friend hadn't seen the beast in all that time, and had asked around town if anyone had ever seen it, which they hadn't. I had switched phones by then, but luckily I had the recording saved on my desktop, where I replayed it at least a thousand times. I went to boot up my desktop, and something was wrong. I had to restart my desktop a couple of times, and after booting it up into safe mode, I got a message that my hard drive had crashed. I tried whatever was possible to try, but I couldn't recover the recording in any way. Fifteen years later, I'm still racking my head over what the beast we encountered could have been. But by now, it's a story my friends believe to be for making conversation. Only that friend and his uncle are still branded by the experience as well. My friend even took it so far as to go live in Spain again, near the beach where this all happened, and still continues to actively look for the beast to this day. Maybe one day he'll find it. I'm a recovering addict who has done drugs for more than half of my life. I'm in my early 30s. And once finally seeking help for my mental health, which was the leading cause to the addiction, I was diagnosed with PTSD anxiety, and depression. The PTSD is from domestic abuse in every form. One day when I feel more comfortable opening up, I have some seriously insane in life experiences that could, hopefully, help deter someone from making the same mistakes and choices. However, that's not the reason for this post. I apologize for the long introduction, however I felt the need to set the scene, so... Here goes, I guess. Due to the previous info, I suffer from terrible night terrors. Ever since moving back home, I know, it's pathetic I'm in my 30s, but I couldn't trust myself living alone anymore, I've been told that I almost nightly scream, cry, or beg for my life in my sleep. My sister lives at home while she's in law school, and her bedroom is directly across the hall from mine. I've woken up screaming, begging, 
drenched in sweat, crying multiple times. My bedroom shares the same wall as one of the upstairs bathrooms, so if my TV's on or I'm talking in my room, you can hear it pretty well in that bathroom. One night, my sister's girlfriend was sleeping over and she heard me screaming and crying while she was in that bathroom. She went back into my sister's room and was genuinely freaking out that something was wrong. The next morning, they both told me that they thought I was being attacked, and that it scared her badly. I said to my sister, jokingly, oh, Thanks for not making sure I was okay. That's when she proceeded to tell me that this happens almost every night. So here lies my concern. I up until that point had no idea that it happens so often. As previously stated, I do know that I wake up completely traumatized sometimes, but not every night. The nights I've woken up, feeling scared or PTSD-related feelings, I can feel something waking me up by touching my legs or feet. I wake up, and I swear something quickly drops down or ducks where my legs and feet are hanging off the bed. Every. Time. The issue is that I never remember anything that caused me to be so terrorized. So, please, if anyone has any advice, I would greatly appreciate it. Is there any way that I can maybe remember my nightmares? Or maybe it's best not to know. Maybe, even one day, I can lucid dream and fight along with whatever demons my subconscious is fighting. Also, I want to know what is waking me up, that I feel a, a physical touch and pressure pushing my legs or feet down every time. But thank you for your time and patience, and thank you for reading. Quick warning on this story. This story is pretty messed up and does include mentions of sexual assault. Uh, to some degree of detail, so if that is something that you personally do not want to hear, I recommend skipping to the next story. All timestamps are down in the description below, and I'll give a few seconds of silence here for anyone who wants to pause and scroll down to the next story. When I was 16 years old, my best friend and I made the dumb decision to get matching tattoos from an older man who was doing tattoos illegally out of his home. He was well known in the area within our age group for giving cheap tattoos to minors. He had recently gotten out of prison for giving minors tattoos and not practicing under state guidelines. Needless to say, I don't know what the hell we were thinking, but hey, when you're a rebellious 16-year-old dumb as hell and have a chance to get a tattoo for $20, I guess any and all common sense flies right out the window. So, we set up a time with him to go over to get our tats. I don't remember the exact time we went over, but I remember it was already dark, so it must have been late evening. It was just the three of us alone in his house, or so I thought. I remember feeling very eerie being there, something about him and the energy of the place that felt very off. But, being the dumb teen that I was, 
I chose to ignore those feelings and go through with it anyways. We were there for about 30 minutes, got our tattoos, and then left. Fast forward a few months, I see his picture and name on the news. At first I thought he got busted again for his illegal tattooing, but little did I know it was so much worse than that. He had been arrested for one of the most heinous crimes that one could commit. Turns out, he bought an old police car, a cop costume, some handcuffs, and he would go into parts of Portland that prostitutes frequented, impersonating a cop to arrest them. He would bring them back to his house and chain up the victims in his basement where they wouldn't be heard. There, he would repeatedly assault and torture them. I was absolutely sick to my stomach when I found this out. I cannot imagine what these women went through, and I still don't really want to know all the details. This was all happening around the same time that we were at his house, so the chances that one of his victims were there at the same time we were is fairly high. I thank God that nothing happened to us, but there's also a part of me that feels guilt. What if someone was screaming for help while we were there and we just couldn't hear them? Why didn't he kidnap us? We would have been the perfect targets. Every time I look at the tattoo, it's a horrible reminder of what could have been, so I'm planning on getting it covered up. Thankfully, all of his victims are alive, and I hope and pray that they're able to recover from this horrible act. He will be in prison for life with no possibility of parole. Always trust your gut. When I was around 11, I got very into fairies, but more in a witchy way, I guess you could say. I realize that's kind of odd for a kid to be into things like this, but you've got to know that I was very imaginative and a somewhat lonely kid. I have always loved fairies, and my mom got me a book on them. It included fairy language and a list of gifts to offer fairies when you wish to interact with them. Of course, I wanted to contact them, what little girl wouldn't? For about a month, I wandered out to my backwoods and by a river, because according to the book, fairies like to hang out around water, and I would leave them little notes written in the supposed language, along with little gifts and offerings. I would make them little leaf baskets, leave them candy or flowers, things like that. I even recited a chant. I think that part of me knew that it was silly and that I'd probably never get results, but damn if I wasn't determined. So, I kept on. At one point, my gifts and notes started disappearing from the bench that I left them on. I figured it was the wind or birds taking it, but a small part of me hoped that it was something else. A month of this nonsense, and I was getting very discouraged. I decided to leave a few more gifts for them, and this time I weighed them down with small rocks, so that they wouldn't blow away and I would know for sure. A day went by and my gifts were still there. Another day, same thing. Then, on the third day of checking, 
I found the gifts gone, but the rocks still there. Only the rocks were moved around. I don't remember how soon after that this happened, but eventually I got what I had wanted. I wandered out into the woods and saw by the river two monarch butterflies. They were very large and I wanted to see them up close. However, one landed on a branch close to the path where I was standing, and I noticed that this butterfly had limbs. Tiny, thin, pale limbs. Hands? Feet? I stopped dead in my tracks and looked hard to make sure that I was not hallucinating. It was broad daylight and I could see it very clearly. It wasn't a butterfly. It was a fairy. She had long, thin, brown hair that went down past her feet, and a blue dress that looked like a small scrap of fabric. But what terrified me above all else was her face. Her eyes were giant, black, bug or alien-like eyes, but she definitely had a face, and she definitely saw me. I didn't even try to go look at the other one because I ran. I was so scared that I bolted home and locked my door. After freaking out and keeping an eye on my backyard, the backwoods through the window, I went back. No surprise, they were gone, and I never saw them again, despite me trying over and over again. My gifts were never taken again. I felt sad and stupid, because I felt like I had ruined my chance to have fairy friends, but knowing what I do now, it was probably a blessing that they left me alone. What do you guys think? Has anyone else seen a fairy? And did they look like this? I just need to find someone else who has seen what I have seen. It's something that I'll never forget. I remember her so clearly that I could draw her. So... I'm going to start by saying that I'm basically a skeptic when it comes to the paranormal, although I love hearing stories and listening to others' points of view when it comes to that kind of stuff. And this is why I'm having such a hard time understanding what happened to me last September. My dad, grandma, grandpa, and I were attending my cousin's wedding in a small rural town just outside of South Haven, Michigan, late last summer. We rented a small house in town, which was located in a very wooded area, just off of a small lake. Something felt extremely off as soon as I got out of the car at our rental property. That's the best way that I could describe it. Something felt off and I was immediately uneasy, but being the skeptic that I am, I shrugged it off and chalked it up to being tired and anxious. The night that we arrived... My dad and I were having a smoke outside, and noticed how weird everything sounded. It was about 11pm and there was no one else around. The trees were crackling incredibly loudly and we were hearing strange animal noises, but nothing too out of the ordinary. Just the type of animal noises you would hear in rural Michigan. But they just sounded particularly strange to us for some reason. We said our goodnights and went to bed. The next morning, my dad told me that he went outside for a smoke at about 2 in the morning, 
and heard what sounded to him like someone close by banging on metal siding. He said it sounded like it was next door, but didn't hear anything leading up to or preceding the loud banging, like footsteps or anything like that. We shrugged and laughed it off. The second night was when I heard the thing that I still can't stop thinking about six months later. It was about 11pm or midnight, and I was having my last smoke of the night. My grandparents were already asleep and my dad had just gotten into bed, but was still awake and watching TV. I was sitting on the stairs outside with my back to the house looking straight out into the backyard. I then heard somebody shout my name in a very abrupt manner. Loud and fast. It sounded like they were shouting toward me from the front of the house, like they were standing on the front porch shouting for me, knowing that I was at the back of the house. It sounded just like my dad, but it couldn't be him because I didn't hear the front door open or close or anything. Being a skeptic, I reminded myself to stay calm and I quickly walked into the house. My dad was sound asleep. There was no way that by the time I got to him, he could have gotten back into bed. I woke him up and asked him if he was outside screaming my name. He looked confused and said of course not. I started to get really freaked out at this point. I tried to go to bed, but couldn't get that scream out of my head. I was up all night trying to figure out what happened. I was honestly contemplating leaving getting a hotel room somewhere close by and returning in the morning. Miraculously, I must have fallen asleep sometime around 3 in the morning. We woke up the next morning and I was so ready to get the hell out of that town. As soon as we left, the uneasy feeling I had the entire weekend disappeared. When I returned to work the next day, I told my coworker the weird experience that I'd had. Her face immediately dropped. She proceeded to inform me that this is quite common in the Appalachian area, regarding cryptids and other types of creatures. Apparently, they try to get your attention by mimicking someone close to you, and when you look at them, they kidnap you or something along those lines. But I was in Michigan. I tried to look up information about the town that I was in, but didn't find anything remotely interesting. Has anyone else had a similar experience? Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast, and I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5 star, 1 star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends... I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.